0: Here in Houston at the American Ad Federation, a trailblazer is defined as a business leader who has built Houston companies through effective advertising, sound marketing, and corporate citizenship. Through their marketing, these trailblazers have enhanced their company's images and the city of Houston's reputation. So that sets the stage for the 21st Annual Trailblazer Award Luncheon. And this year we are honoring Paul W. Hobby a trailblazer celebrating accomplishments and contributions in texas especially in houston the name hobby is synonymous with commerce and culture media public service and has been a part of the family's legacy for over a century we had a chance to sit down with paul prior to the awards and i know you are going to enjoy uh... this conversation that we had take a listen so how is houston different than the houston you knew growing up in rice village
1: well you know, you can't be surprised by growth in Houston because uh, growth in Houston are the same word, uh, probably in some other language. So, my father's dove hunting lease growing up was River Oaks Chrysler Plymouth right there on Kirby. You know, Kirby was far from paved in those days. So, none of us can be surprised at the uh, perpetual growth machine that is Houston. So, uh, I guess I'm uh, surprised by the fact that Houston has maintained its uh, welcoming, diverse, optimistic culture. And uh, I hate to say I'm surprised by that, but uh, it is unique in all the world.
0: Paul, on the business side, who are some of the biggest influencers in your life?
1: There has been a a parade of uh, gentlemen in the previous generation who were interested and encouraging to me. And they didn't have to be. Uh, By name, I guess I would... Jack Crosby is the, the father of private equity in, um, and a cable business pioneer from Del Rio, Texas, who's gone on to memory. Um, you know Ben Love, Jack Blanton, uh, Dolph Briscoe always had a, a, a very keen interest in me and would go out of his way to call me and encourage me. And none of these people had any reason in the world why they should have done that or needed to do that. So I try and pay that forward uh, every day with young men in my life.
0: Growing up, your world was a little bit different than many other folks. Uh, That's a given. What were some of the key benefits of being exposed to people who were highly successful in both business and in politics? Well,
1: uh, Houston felt like a small town to me growing up, and it still does, as silly as that sounds. But I guess if there was some advantage in growing up in uh, a circumstance where I had wide exposures and privileges and whatever those words are, is that you, the the Wizard of Oz effect was exposed pretty early on. A lot of people that were perceived as great and powerful Oz, politically, economically, religiously, any other way, once you could see those people up close, you could sell, they were just a scared little guy behind a curtain, pulling ropes as fast as they could, trying to live up to the world's expectation of them. And uh, as you get bigger, the expectations get higher, and the... uh, ropes move faster. And so that there was a, a quiet desperation and humanity and all these people that
0: the world thought were different than they were. Uh, we saw that pretty quick. Okay, we need to check out your crystal ball now. What does Houston look like 25 years down the road?
1: Well, I hope it's uh, continuing to do what it's doing now, and that is uh, densifying, You know, maintaining diversity, having a little more security in itself. Uh, sometimes Houston's been a Its motivator is the chip on its shoulder. Oh, we're a global city, we're a global city. Well, the more times you say it, the less times you probably are it. So bumper stickers in New York consulting firms, Houston's hot, Houston's cold, whatever, whatever. Uh, I think we ought to have a little more security uh, and a sense of ourselves that we are a global city. We don't have to say it. We are politically and economically relevant. We are geopolitically on everybody's radar screen and so now it's time to infill and pay attention to detail you know houston was kind of a a market share strategy we did this big land grab and if some concrete was good more was better but window boxes details fixing curbs quality of life all the things that millennials want uh, there is an infill process going in way in a way that it hasn't in a, a restless adolescent sunbelt city that we've always been so more of the same
0: So, it seems like Texas has kind of always been centric to your life and career. Being at the helm of Texas Monthly also seems like you've kind of come home. Is that your feeling as well?
1: Oh, I don't think I ever left. Um, I lacked the imagination, maybe. But it's true that um, I've done a lot of things across a lot of socioeconomic geographies in Texas, so I, I may know a few places and I may know a few people, so uh, Texas Monthly
0: is a good use of me. You have been quoted as saying that in Houston, all things are possible. What does that mean? Uh, It sounds like one of those slogans I just said we ought to try and get away from, but uh,
1: I'm always amazed at what outsiders say about us. I learn much more about Houston from people that hadn't been here very long versus the rest of us, and how would we know? You know, we are um, the frog in the boiling water. And I'm always amazed at what outsiders say about the ability of a good idea to get traction in Houston immediately. You know, you can go see 25 people that matter, and if they have a good idea, oh my gosh, all of a sudden we're off and running. And they're like, you don't understand, Paul. It doesn't happen like that in other places.
0: So how do you encourage someone else to use their time wisely and build on their talents. I'll accept the compliment whether I'm deserving of it
1: or not, but I, I'm careful. I don't give anybody advice or wisdom because I, um, I don't consider myself um, qualified to do that. But what I will say is my experience has been that if you keep your capital and your sweat close together, then that's, um, that gives you a better result. You know, You're leveraging the capital better and you are seeing your results better. And you're not just um, harried running in all directions trying to please everybody. The good news about Houston is there's plenty of talent out there and there's plenty of capital. This is not a small town. So um, I had a Sunday school teacher who used to say it this way, the need is not the call. So if you just focus on what you focus on and apply your sweat and your capital, uh, the rest of the things are probably going to get focused on by other highly qualified people.
0: Paul, you credited your father as having intellectual independence. What is that, and how do you practice that in your life? What
1: I mean by intellectual independence in the context of my father is that he has the cold eye of a military officer, of a newspaper editor, of a presiding officer, um, all of which he was. So he's just not... um, much wowed by shiny baubles. Uh, His value systems and his satisfaction mechanisms are uh, pretty abstract.
0: Let's take a moment and talk about the Greater Houston Partnership, uh, your role and your vision, and how is GHP changing Houston? Well, as you probably know,
1: the GHP is a mashup of three different functions of the business advocacy role. The uh, Chamber of Commerce role and the Economic Development role, and so it has to serve multiple masters by definition. And so um, one year to the next, maybe one master gets more attention. But the thing that I tried to maximize is the GHP to realize and employ its convening power. And that is what um, helped get them into a space that's more readily available and attractive for convening. And I encouraged them to get into some tough issues where we didn't necessarily have the answers, but we had the ability to put all the stakeholders in a room, and, and that was enough. Uh, the context of all that is that you get criticized in the newspaper because, hey, you know, that's uh, that's what happens with tough issues. If they weren't tough issues, they would have been solved a long time ago. And so I think maybe uh, partially under my influence, the GHP realize that uh, criticism's better than irrelevance. And uh, if you stay away from the tough stuff, you're irrelevant. So I think GHP is it's convening um, in just the right way. So it, it's made Houston immeasurably better, uh, but that's hard to quantify. Other people could have other opinions.
0: So let's talk about your connection with NRG. Well, it's one of those things that just sort of
1: flies in the side window of your life. So you think, hey, well, maybe that's meant to be. Maybe that's a God thing. But I'm uh, close to, historically, David Bonderman and Jim Coulter of TPG, and they bought, with some other private equity firms, all the generation assets when deregulation was happening, and they called that Texas Genco. And they said, "Uh, gee, Paul, we've got plenty of smart people on the board, but we don't have anybody that can find Texas on a map. And uh, so that's really why I'm there, is because I can find Texas on a map. Uh, Genco, of course, was bought by NRG, and we have... uh, traveled many miles since then, and I have learned a lot. The power business is, um, is dynamic and interesting, and so for somebody who's got a short attention span, I just think of it as a low boredom threshold, but the world calls it something else. But um, so I, I like the power business because it's sort of the end game for combustion or photosynthesis or whatever you're gonna do to generate the marginal
0: electron. Your energy also goes into Genesis Park LP here in Houston, where you are founder and the managing chairman of that organization. Money helps build stuff. So, how does GP figure out the best way to spend that money?
1: Well, we obviously have a pattern. We have deals that we like to do. We have done 10 carve outs of public companies, for example, and none of those were auctions. They're all negotiated transactions where We're going to be a good steward of the asset. We're going to be a good partner with the former parent who either has lost interest or can't afford to do this anymore. And so I think that we're good partners, and I think we understand capital formation and aligning incentives and hiring the right management and, uh, again, helping build businesses. So a lot of people deploy capital in a passive way, and that's probably better, but we're just too cheap to pay those prices. So we usually buy something that has something that we need to work on and, uh, and generally we figure it out over
0: time. For one moment let's touch on the diversity we have here in Houston. Is that a strength? Gosh you know you try and not hit watermelon pitches across the plate uh, like
1: that, uh, but I, I will say it this way. We have a lot of MD Anderson patients that stay in our pool house just as my mother did for many years in her house and one way to get Houstonized real quick is to go to the medical center because they'll always come back to the house saying, uh, the four most important people in my life, all of a sudden, I can't pronounce any of their names. And you just kind of smile and you nod and you go, okay, they've been Houstonized. They get it.
0: Paul, you've been quoted as saying, as it relates to Houston, a more intelligent approach to growth, less on the central planning, but more on central steering. What do you mean by that? Oh, maybe
1: this gets a little wonky uh, but Houston and Texas generally are very volitional places, and that is uh, they're willing to be steered, uh, but they're not willing to be commanded. In Houston, the private sector leads really almost anything that's important, with the exception of you know, criminal justice infrastructure, things that only the city can do. But uh, think about it. Schools, upper, lower division, charter schools, medical research, medical, uh, clinical... Performing arts, visual arts, you just keep parks, just keep naming it, the private sector leads all that activity here. And if you tried to create some mandatory governmental overlay to put over the top of that, it wouldn't work. But if you have um, a mayor, for example, who wants to conduct the symphony and create carrots and sticks and encourage and steer the the, uh, powerful forces of the private sector and philanthropy in Houston, that's what works.
0: You have called Houston the logistics capital of the United States, Uh, but you say some things need to be fixed to make that better. What are some of those things? Pretty mundane stuff, like the ports uh,
1: can work together better. The uh, rail can connect to the deep water at Freeport better. Uh, A lot of kind of mundane things like that. We've learned how to use Ellington better and better. I don't think that we've quite maximized it yet. I think we need to understand that in a, uh, an economy that focuses a lot on manufacturing things, as 3D printing becomes a scalable technology, it's going to change Houston a lot. And so, you know, data analytics, 3D printing, uh, there's a lot of things that Houston needs to become uh, the headquarters for those sorts of things, and we're not quite yet.
0: So what kind of a message should our city send to those folks considering Houston as a destination, whether it be for business or for living in general?
1: Uh, opportunity, freedom, opportunity. You know, what I said about volition, you know, anybody will uh, help you here if you ask nicely. And uh, But if you are looking for a government that is uh, going to do all things for you, will be your safety net and your protector at every moment of every day, then you probably Audibly somewhere else where the social contract works differently. But my experience is your experience, and that is don't come to Houston for a weekend. You know, come for a month or two months, and then you'll kind of get it. So we're more of an inside out place than an outside in place. In some of your
0: interviews in the past, you've mentioned affinity groups, people like Bucky's, Southwest Airlines, Dell, HEB, Bluebell, and more. How do those affinity groups play into the overall growth of the Texas brand?
1: Yeah. I mean, are those affinity groups or are they brands that are so powerful they feel like affinity groups? So it may be a circular observation, but when you think about revitalizing Texas Monthly and making it current and relevant and vital and involved in the new Texas and not just Willie Nelson's Texas, God bless Willie after all, and barbecue. You've got to say good things about barbecue. Uh, you look at those brands that have helped sort of perpetuate the Texas zeitgeist. Uh, can I say zeitgeist on tape? Can you even do that? But Southwest Airlines, Frost, Bucky's, HEB, you know, these things feel like Texas. Wherever they go in the world, they express that sort of um, um, sunny independence that uh, defines a lot of the, the Texas idea.
0: Paul, why is Texas Monthly important publication well
1: we are the uh, the chronicler and the curator of the Texas thing and I don't have to explain to you what the Texas thing is but that's a very precious mission and in some ways uh, we have a little bit of a monopoly to to guide that to interpret that for the rest of the world to perpetuate it to um, to document it And the more I spend time in Austin these days, you know, these people need acculturation. You know, they're they're wonderful, smart people, but they're from Minnesota and Quebec. You know, if we don't uh, make them understand where they are and what's the deal, you know, they might put on yellow vest and start marching on the street and um, demand more things than government than we want to give them. So uh, acculturation is a a big part of what we need to do in Texas today because 1,100 people wake up here every day that weren't here the day before. That's a big number. And most of them are coming from Illinois and California where the social contract is different.
0: Finally, want to take a moment to say congratulations to you as being our Trailblazer Award honoree, the man who brought home the National Magazine of Texas, and you've done so much more. Paul, what defines a person as a trailblazer? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I've never called myself that,
1: so... But I guess the answer is um, bravado, naivete, you know, that, that old saw about the, uh, the prairie is littered with the bones
0: of would-be pioneers. Maybe those are trailblazers. And there you have it, Paul W. Hobby, our 2019 Trailblazer Award honoree. Thanks for listening to Ad Speaks Houston a production of the American Advertising Federation Houston Chapter. Find out more at AAF-Houston.net. Copyright 2019, AAF Houston. All rights reserved.